Charles. That's no. not the way I go with it when it's hey. my guest. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. You know, I'm, I'm a little out of touch lately because Matt's been doing such a great job hosting this podcast. And, but, you know, this is like brother, uh, yeah, brotherhood here. You know, once a Patricia, always a Patrician. If you're listening to this podcast and you are in the PPCLI and you are kind of in hiding, you reach out and this is what it leads to. And, you know, it's Dan Marsh is our guest on, on the podcast. And we didn't know each other a week ago and through a mutual friend and a golf tournament and everything. Dan is here now on the podcast. And, you know, Dan is one of the reasons why why we're having this podcast, because he did a tour in Afghanistan, actually. I believe it's a tour right before Matt's tour. Yeah. He ripped out. and uh, Probably some overlap. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's part of the 158 is is with is with Dan. So, um, I know I'm fumbling a bit through this intro. So, I'll maybe just to let Dan take over, and I want to welcome you to the show. And thanks for coming up, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's uh Exciting to be here, I guess. <laughs> Why don't you give us uh, a little bit of a background about yourself? Uh, well, how far do you want me to go back? Uh, maybe just a, we'll go with some basics. Where you where he are, grew up, actually, because yeah, I've he heard up. a bit of the podcast. Being Dan drove up, you know, he's staying at my place, so we've already done the podcast like we always do. But there was no microphones. But if you, yeah, share um, your background. Yeah, so uh, not from a traditional military family or nothing, like. Uh, all educators they we i actually grew up overseas um explain that so i uh yeah overseas I, is very broad i grew up in hong kong to oh, narrow that's, it down. yeah never would have guessed that so. yeah um so yeah spent 10 years in hong kong uh went to university in victoria like upon graduating high school in hong kong so you were there like you were were you born in hong kong no no, no. uh you guys are all gonna hate me now but uh, i'm actually born from montreal no that's all right you're not a Habs fan though right <laughs> Oh, you know it, buddy. Hey, keep that to yourself, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And rap. <laughs> and we're done. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, so I, I was born in Montreal, um, grew up in China, like I said. Uh, moved to Victoria, did some university there in Victoria, and then joined the military right out of, uh, well, just after um, 9-11, I guess. Uh, so 2005 or so. Um did a year stint in uh, in Wainwright, I think it was. No, um, sorry, back up. Did you dive right in and go PBCLI no, right away? Well, yeah, I had to do, like, um, I think we were in there for Wainwright for, like... Um, DP1 uh, or something? No, 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 like, like between oh. basic training and... Let me back it up because the lights and the cameras and everything. You actually joined for a reason because you wanted to be a police officer, wasn't it? Yeah, so... Um, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do in university life, and uh, what did you go to university for? Kinesiology. Okay. So didn't get through it, didn't finish it, and kind of was waffling my way through. So I was actually working one day, met an undercover cop, and thought that was really cool. But on your own terms? On my own terms. Yeah, yeah, no, I wasn't being arrested. If it was me, it would have been the opposite. That's why. Yeah, I was running away from an undercover cop. No. um, When he tackled me, I said, how do I I get in? How do I, how do I do your job? Um, You must work out. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was more, you know, just cool, cool gig. Just started asking some questions. Um, Kind of done some bar bouncing at the university type thing when I was a little younger. So the whole life of security and public service was always kind of 
a draw for me, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, anyway, long story short, I figured I needed some, some experience, some life experience. So joined the military. I was only going to do three years and come back to be a cop in Victoria because I love the West Coast and beautiful. And then 11 years later, I was, uh, you know, I finally made the exit move. So, so you ended up joining 2005? Yeah, 2005. I was going on 24. Still relatively young. Yeah. yeah. But you know you're joining an infantry unit. Oh, yeah. No, I knew full well I was doing that, and that was likely leading places because of the... Revolving political... door right at that point, too. Right? Yeah, exactly. Was, everyone was getting in. That's how I got yeah. in. Snuck right in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you end up, that was your, did you want to go to Afghanistan at that point? Was that? It wasn't like necessarily all gung-ho to go fight war or anything like that. It was just kind of, I think a means to an end with a knowledge that that could very well happen. It was um, more about the check in the box for a resume kind of thing at that point? Uh, I mean, a bit of both, right? Like, yeah. you know, you're kind of looking, I think when you're that young, you're not quite sure what you want to do in life. Like you kind of go through these points where you just need a little bit of guidance, a little bit of stability, a little bit of, you know push or whatever and yeah some discipline you know, and structure yeah like any kid needs right yeah and then did you find that there was a shift when you got into basic or dp1 that you're like okay now i, I want to go or even when you got to the unit yeah i think you know you can probably attest to this is as you kind of go um go through even the, the the basic training and the soldier qualifications all that sort of stuff like you start developing, you know, a certain brotherhood that happens and you start kind of riling each other up a little bit. And, you know, obviously we knew what was happening in the news at the time. So it wasn't yeah. like we were blind or oblivious to it. And you start kind of getting excited about doing that sort of stuff. You start going on more courses or, or winter X's or summer X's or, or whatever happens. You kind of get that, you know, that rottery. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's Esprit do this. Decor. Yeah, exactly. So right out of the manual. Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, maybe we kind of help wind each other up for a little bit, but I mean... Yeah, it's like a wave of excitement that's building and you're part of it. Yeah, but I think also, to be honest with you, like, I mean, you know, because I grew up overseas, I also, I think, had a, a background which really understood different cultures, really understood different ways of doing things and all that sort of stuff. So I wasn't necessarily that pumped about it because... I wasn't entirely sure who was right or who was wrong. I was trying to stay out of the political world of it. Yeah, that makes sense. And, it's and definitely you want a different perspective. Exactly, right? And you kind of, you know, you don't want to just go there to be rah-rah, soldiers shooting them up, killing them, whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, you want to protect your friends, protect your brothers, whatever. But at the same a, time, it's... It's definitely an interesting perspective because when I look back, I didn't have that experience, obviously. I barely even left Ontario growing up. Um, I knew that... There was something about that culture that was different and from what you get in the media is like it's all bad and obviously as much as i joke around about being a piece of shit, i actually did care and i uh, wanted to be a part of making a difference and proud to be canadian so on and so forth but yeah. i had never experienced how it is to be in a different cultural setting which it's obviously a shock when you go and see and it's a there was definitely days over there that it was like these people don't want us here like plain and simple who yeah. are we to force our way of living on them right and that yeah. kind of you obviously had a different perspective from that because i would imagine hong kong is completely different than canada absolutely yeah although i i gotta tell you i mean I, and i was saying to jurgen a little earlier like i've done a lot of traveling a lot of exploring a lot of uh you know 
I'm really blessed to be as worldly as I've been with, with growing up around Hong Kong and Southeast Asia and wherever. Like my parents actually lived in the Middle East uh, around about 2001. So I got to ask there. how, like, uh, I, I don't want to pry that much. But, like, <laughs> I don't want to pry about your parents, but I got to ask, like, what were they doing? Are they selling oil or what? Like, what's going on? No, no. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they're in education. So uh, kind of tertiary education. Like, so my parents moved from Hong Kong, then to uh, Abu Dhabi, just next door to Dubai. Oh, shit. Um, and then from there, they went to, like, Cardiff, Wales. Now they're actually living just north of Paris. Been there the last 12 years. And. Yeah, so, you, so you're you're definitely cultured. Yeah, I get around, for sure, and that's kind of <laughs> I was been to say something else. But... <laughs> <laughs> Walk into that one, eh? Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, so having that background of you know not just one or two different places, but like several different continents of people, you know, I felt like going into you know I wasn't necessarily like super pumped to you know start going shooting people because you know. Obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, wanted to protect my brothers, wanted to do Canada proud, wanted to serve my country. Really proud to do that. Um, but I think like there was that double edged sword of wanting that, but also understanding that, you know, what we're there for. I mean, people are people no matter where you go. Right. hundred percent. And you're still young, but you've got some life experience, obviously. So you're days of training must have felt different than, you know, the average 19, 20 year old at that point going through. Like I think about me, I like pretty uneducated, ignorant to the whole situation. Like we're playing playing war here, right? And I'm assuming that this is how it's going to be going overseas and stuff. And your whole experience is completely different than that. It's like yeah. I know what it's like being in a different culture. I don't know. It's hard to explain where like my thought pattern is here with this, but yeah, I, I think I what you're Dan, saying. you're coming into it not being like the majority of us in North America are getting a channel of a news feed or a culture feed where you're coming in with a more three-dimensional look to it. Well, just a live look to it, right? Like, I mean, you know, you don't get the flavor of a a country by looking at a newsreel or watching a movie or whatever else you get it by interacting in that country. Yeah. Right. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at too. Like it must've been weird going through training where you're like, you're looking at different Canadians where I didn't have the other experience of being in a different culture. So it's, like that must have seemed really gimmicky to you where to me it was like this is real you know what i mean like that's 100 percent. yeah yeah interesting so yeah it's just i think it's it's just an interesting element from my perspective i suppose like it was something that you know i mean as much as we don't like to admit it like things get said and done when it's just the boys and whatever else where it's like you know slang will happen or whatever else and and you kind of think and you go well that's not probably true in your own head you know what i mean and so you kind of dial back and go do i believe that do what am i you know what i mean right well i didn't at the time but if i had your kind of experiences i guess i would have <laughs> it's definitely a different different mindset going into a situation like that yeah it's and, such and a I think fresh I'm, i think i'm sorry i think i'm i'm talking more from perspective of pre-deployment yeah where no one really knows what to expect for sure and but like given your upbringing where you, like you know that there's different um stereotypes that go with different cultures and you've experienced it firsthand yeah exactly like exactly yeah like where it's very easy for me as a 20 year old that's never been anywhere to go oh they're saying this about Fox Afghanis News or, yeah and, and it's yeah, like exactly. yeah just feed right into it where yeah. i'm sure that you're going you're second guessing it right like yeah. is this really what's going on yeah 
Interesting. So yeah. I guess, the, you know, a long-winded way of answering about your question of did I really want to go over there or whatever. It's yeah. like, it's one of those things where, yeah, absolutely, I want to do my country proud, but, yeah. like, you know, I, not that I'm, I, was, I was never second-guessing. I think that's the wrong word, but it was just that feeling of people are people and, like, you know, the last thing I want is war, but I'll do it if I need to. Well, what I find interesting is that my perspective, when I went there, it was my thought pattern was definitely that Canada had to be there we had to make change we had to have them adapt to our way of living agreed but when i got there my thought patterns quickly changed to i don't even think they want to change at all what are we doing and so i can see where you would be coming in with that that second guessing almost right because you had some of that background that experience that i definitely did not (laughs) Well, yeah, and, and I'm not. I'm certainly not trying to preach that it was better or worse or anything else. I think it was just different, yeah. Um, you know, and I think it like it led to. Uh, it, it, funnily enough, it actually was not all that different from coming to Canada right after high school, and trying to like blend in, you know, in social circles that have been established for decades because yeah. people all know each other from childhood or whatever else. And even if they didn't, it's still like this general common sort of. Uh, cultural knowledge of Canada, right? Yeah. So I coming into the into that environment after high school, it's like you know sometimes it's almost hard to fit in because you can't relate to anything. Well, it's you hard to I mean? move to like city to city. Never mind. Uh, well, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. right? And yeah. so it was a similar phenomenon, I think, with my like the way I kind of viewed things. Yeah. Uh, when it came to you know the idea of going to war and the idea of going to fight and and all those sorts of things, it's like yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. Like if I see somebody getting robbed down the street, I'm jumping in, right? Yeah. I'm sure, you're the same way because mm-hmm. that's that natural instinct to protect and help and and defend and do the right thing, the moral correct thing, right? But on the same side, it's I'm in somebody else's country. Yeah. Not necessarily wanted here. And you know what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, it's kind of. Yeah, it was just it was just weird. It was just different. So when did you end up? So oh five, you ended up joining up. Was it oh six that you ended up at battalion? Then? What do you, do you no. So I was, I was on Pat platoon for a while. Uh that's a common thread with our podcast. <laughs> well, well, you know, I, no matter what, you usually end up being there waiting cor- for our, our whole, but yeah, our whole group was like we end up yeah. in a six month waiting period. Yeah, like we had like thirty five people on Pat Platoon, and they're all going to the same infantry course. Um, yeah, exactly. So it was kind of one of those things where things you're just kinda... have changed. You're again okay. Stop <laughs> judging us. Yeah, it's not Par <laughs> Platoon. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. guys use guns now. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, pew, pew. Um, yeah. No, yeah, so I did, uh, I did like, six months Pat Platoon, and then uh, jumped on, at the time, it was still SQ, and then VIQ after that. I think it's just battle school now. Um, but, uh, so that, so by the time I finished battle school was, like, December 06. Okay. Went for Christmas holiday break kind of thing, came back January 07, right into workup training, essentially, for Afghanistan. And you were Within already at Wayne right then? So, well, Wainwright was Pat Platoon, and then I went to Shiloh. Okay. So then came right back to do some training. Oh, like four Wainwright, months later, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wainwright's not being used as a battle school because that's being used for like, deployment work. No, we did. We did. Uh, where did we do that? I want to say I did all my. I think I did SQ and Wainwright and, and SQ and battle school. Any good Yeah, story? so that's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like. Any good stories from your SQ or there's got to be something greasy you can tell us. Come on. (laughs) Okay. Honestly, like I'm not even, I'm not even like BSing here, but like 
one of the the best stories, which is by far the most embarrassing stories. I, I honestly can't bring up here because unfortunately he also fell in Afghanistan. I just I couldn't, oh. I, I couldn't do that to the guy. I Way to him. pump me up to bring me right back down. Right, you know. <laughs> um, but there was pizza and there was definitely alcohol and yeah, a really pissed off master corporal. <laughs> Sounds about right. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, he may be looking at you going, I would have shared it on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so then when you got to battalion, do you got like a new guy story or anything you can tell us? Well. <laughs> That's a good start. Oh, God. New, okay, so I'm pretty sure they banned new guys games after our course came in. Um, we had at least that has to be a good story then. Well, there are at <laughs> least, as I recall, I mean, this is a, this is digging back in the memory file here, but there's at least six guys that had to walk around with donuts because they had, uh, well, they burnt their ass basically. Um, yeah, some jackass stuff back then. Probably I ain't naming was... names just in case, you know. It has to yeah, get back. No, so no, we don't do names. We just <laughs> well, we that's just a bad stuff. time to be going through because. Oh yeah, I think I think it, yeah, I think it involved a, a a roll of toilet paper, a beer, and oh. a lighter. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't one of the victims, thank God. No. But. So then that was kind of your welcome to being a Patricia, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. Um, and then, uh, yeah, what, just kind of got into workup training. and. What was it like getting to uh, to VP? Intimidating, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, same with me when I got to battalion too. Uh, well, there's 800 guys that line up three days a week in the in the hallway. You know what I mean? And it's like, and and a lot of them have been there a long time. And there's a know, lot of history in those. A halls lot of too. history and and a lot of hardness, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a fresh face, kind of you just got out of basketball, school, you think you're hard as balls, and you realize you ain't nothing. There's always like you were humbling experience. Yeah, like you get you get to a point, and you get to be so proud. It's always the cap badge I found was like yeah. you get that cap badge, and then you get knocked right the fuck back down, and then you get your yeah. infantry badge, and then you're like waiting for that PPCLI or RCR badge, and then as soon as you get to battalion, you get knocked right the fuck back right. down again. And you're like, then you realize you're not wearing a rank, you have no medals, yeah, exactly. like nothing special about you. You're just you're just the the bottom of the totem pole, especially right? in those days too, right? Like, I remember when I got to battalion, I got in hotel company in, uh, you know, on 07. I f- there was a big Easter blast and yeah. I lost one, five guys, five guys. Uh, so we got stood up and in the office and had to face the, their picture and get yelled at about how I can't even remember. I was, I was pretty much shaken, like, oh, my God, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> like, but you think about the history and stuff, right? It is very intimidating. Yeah. Well, and it didn't help. We, we were talking about this a little earlier, but it doesn't help that, like, your RSM, you know, what? well, his brother played pro hockey for the Edmonton Oilers. And, oh, uh, yeah, we got some crossover connections. We're talking about Semenko. He, gets, he comes over when I'm in Europe. He got drafted over there thinking, like, in Europe, you're there as Cold War, but hockey was such a big deal. Like, if you played on the hockey team. Yeah, especially in the 80s when the Oilers were awesome. Oh, my God. So, right? Semenko gets pulled over from one of the other battalions to second battalion. But, oh, my God, I can play better hockey. Do you guys know who Semenko is? Yep. Yeah, so, his like, 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 his, like the NHL cement head Semenko, right? Enforced for Wayne Gretzky, right? Yeah. So, his brother was RRSM. And he was six foot six or well, looked guy. like six foot six anyway. And, you know, just this imposing guy, right? And, um, you know great guy obviously but man when like he just like leaned into you and stared at you you thought the fear of god was coming down at oh, you oh yeah and he'd do it on purpose like he just walked That's into the new guy i know <laughs> <laughs> like, you did share a good story with the uh 
on the airfield for the ramp ceremony how good his yeah voice well is. that's a good like, like so yeah to give you an idea so um when i was in afghanistan unfortunately lost a, a friend and and um teammate there and we were doing the ramp ceremony and you know i'm carrying um james's coffin and we're going you know the lav to the to the the glow master right and it's you know it's it's a, i don't know how long that is like i don't know i did that walk it too. feels long. long as any i mean especially it with the feels yeah. like 500 meters or something stupid mm-hmm. right it's probably not that long it's probably 100 meters or something but it's still long enough right and so um i'm sort of at the end of the the, the walk we're at the globe master and you know you get the the command to like you know you know halt and uh the whole parade goes on you know throws up the five finger salute and whatnot and all I could remember thinking was I could hear RSM Semenko yelling all the commands from the other end of the tarmac. Yeah. And I could hear him clear as day with jet engines howling in my ears. Mm. And I was like, how does he yell that loud? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So, just just that so, so that was that was this man. Like, he was this very like large, booming presence. And so yeah. going back to those first days in regiment, like to yeah. answer your question, is like that's kind of what was welcoming me. Yeah. It scared the crap out of me, frankly. But well, that, that's a good segue to get to the Afghanistan part, I guess. Not maybe the best. Well, because you... <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Let's dive uh, right into that nugget. Yeah. Uh, so then you end up, you were on, what was it, 108? Yeah, 108. So I think it was February to August, September. What do you remember? Is there anything leading up to that that you were like, you had some... So for guys around, that's Roto 5? Yeah. Roto Yeah. So that's, did you have anything like going through your minds, any, any pre-thoughts, what you thought it was going to be like, or not like, like you mean in training, you mean yeah, like, like, like the, the work, the workup and whatnot? Yeah. Like, so some of the guys that have come through that we've talked to, it's like some of them say, yeah, they were reading newspaper articles, getting ready to go. And, and then they got there and it was like, shit, like Chris Hood read five books on it, Craig. 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 Yeah. Craig. Yeah. Yeah. So like some guys had like for me though, I didn't I kinda got thrown into it. So it was kinda I didn't have too much education. I didn't really have any any thoughts on what it was gonna be like kind of thing. It was just like all of a sudden I was there. All yeah, right. um Honestly I don't remember. I mean I remember leaving and you know the generals all kinda like shake your hand before you get on the plane type thing and Yeah. We got stuck in Germany, and I don't really recall how I felt or what I was thinking in terms of what am I going to expect. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, was, was there any like point for me? I remember being on the airplane, and I forget who it was. It wasn't anyone that was attached to us, but it must have been some RSM or someone that was like, "Take a look left and right." And we all did, and they're like, "Not everyone's coming back," and that was kind of like my moment of like. Well, shit, like, this is where we're going. This is actually, like, a hostile area where... Yeah. Never really had any moments like that either, to be honest with you. I mean, I think it was just kind of all business and, you know... Again, flying for me is second nature. I've done it my whole life, so it's just especially that long ass flight. Yeah, well, <laughs> man, like I, I remember doing the twenty-four hour jog from Hong Kong to Montreal like every year, and it was like you know eight hours in Anchorage and four hours in Tokyo and seven hours in Vancouver, etc. Right, like just to get home. And so, so, so these long haul flights yeah. to me was just another flight to go on. 
Um, You're not just absorbing all that time going through your mind, like, what the fuck am I doing? There's no getting off now. (laughs) No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, God, I can't wait to get off this damn plane. Yeah. Because here we go again type thing. Where's the movie channel, right? Yeah. Like, that to me was something I grew up with and knew what to expect. And so, you know, I was more concerned about the flight than anything else. Yeah. But I do, I do recall that, that pucker factor moment was, well, I mean, A, the combat entry into Afghanistan, that first entry you do. Oh, where, and they go with lights where they go out lights and, out yeah. and they do the nosedive and the whole nine yards, right? Um, but the real, the real kicker was when we landed or as we were landing. I remember looking out the window and we're in Kandahar Airfield. And you can kind of see the old airfield. It's all shot to shit. And Daytime or night? This is nighttime. So it's also kind of this ominous time, time of night too. And you can kind of see, you know, plane lights reflecting off like the Hessian walls and or sea cans or whatever it was. I don't really remember. But like, and it was just this, the, the, the heat, the dust. And even, even though it was February, it was still like, yeah, no, I'm actually here now. Yeah. Like there's that moment of, yep nope no turning back this is actually happening you're actually going to a war zone this is what a war zone feels like yeah and it's really freaking quiet yeah <laughs> yeah know? it actually is pretty quiet there yeah you that's know? true never really thought of that and you get on those uh the buses that are like it's almost like you're uh, going to a resort you know and yeah you're like cuba or something they yeah have those, those buses and it's like <laughs> the same kind of feeling you go to this warm atmosphere yeah. and you're like Okay, here I am, and then these buses pick you up to go take you to your resort, yeah. except for it's Tent City. And- <laughs> yeah, and then it's, and then it's line up next to your kit and do all this, and it's just yeah, it was it was just it was a weird, yeah, it was weird, and then it was so what was also strange was that I was ripping in after the main rip, so uh, it was me and like I think it was like I can't remember exactly how many I think it was like eight of us maybe or. I don't want to remember, but there wasn't that many of us. Yeah, it's, I had the same experience. There was only two of us. So. Yeah. Okay. Like, so yeah, I think then... so. I think there was like maybe eight of us. Didn't have my section commander. Didn't have my platoon warn. Didn't have anybody. Lost except for, child walking around. Except path. for <laughs> except for old Halcrow. Halcrow was our as our okay. as our guy, right? Warren Halcrow. Warren Halcrow, and uh, and so yeah, and we had to wait there for like two weeks. Holy fuck! It wasn't a couple of days. It was like a couple of weeks because they all drove in, mm-hmm. and we had to get ripped in by Chinook. And so I don't know what took so long or why it happened or whatever else. You guys but, probably just got lost, forgotten. About oh, and something. the worst of it. <laughs> oh, man, the worst of it. So they drive in with like day bags because they know it's three weeks, but they're doing lots of patrol, whatever else. We get the message, pack your day bag full into your rucksack, take everything. So I literally have like a 200 pound bag of like everything I brought to like Afghanistan, except for civvy clothes. And it was like, all right, you're hiking into Talacan. Or flying into Talacan. I'm like, I can barely lift my bloody bag, right? So get to Talacan, and we kind of like jump off the Chinook. It was actually a great ride in because my first experience of Afghanistan was a couple of Apache gunships and a, and a, and a great view out the back of a, of a Chinook. Chinook, right? So we land, and I'm kind of like, oh, hey, guys, I'm here. They're like, get the hell over here, Marshall. Let's go. You're in a bloody combat zone. I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, you're right. <laughs> they start fucking running. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not in fucking Kansas anymore, right? Yeah. Sorry, excuse my language. but uh, Oh, no, we swear. Oh, perfect. Okay. Guns free. Um, so anyway, so I'm like, oh, shit, you know, a sergeant's yelling at me. I'm fucking running to the telecan, right, and get in. And then it's like the... Right, we've been here for two weeks. Sort yourself out. Why is your gun painted? Thanks, there, so and so. Anyway, like, um, yeah, just this, like, this intense. Because 
for for they're dropping us off there they're, you, you, you probably went through the same experience where they're like you know one cop two cop three cop they're just kind of doing the drop off well it's like cop. a shuttle yeah we we're basically on a shuttle and so we're dropping people off as we go and we're the last three to get off at talican and we all run in we're all kind of doe-eyed and wide-eyed and holy shit now we're in the shit and i mean it was the wild west back there yeah. like you're really out in the boonies right so so it was kind of interesting. Like, what is this platoon size or company? Oh, size? this is section size. So I was going to ask also, what, uh, what were you a part of? Were you uh, like omelet, omelet? Oh no, or? I was tippy pointing into the spear there. Like um, we were doing um, platoon. Well, we were doing all sorts of patrols. Like we do. You're out playing po- pokey chess with the Taliban. Pretty much, yeah. Massive. Hey, you guys out here, you want to play? Kind yeah, of thing, right? pretty much, yeah. pretty much. So a lot of presence patrols and exactly. advanced contacts, shit like that. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the other one you mentioned earlier? Clearing patrol. Well, yeah, clearing patrols, like whole nine yards. Like, did you guys of... have QRF or anything? Like, I guess you were pretty small. Did you stay that small? Well, so the way the cops worked out, you know, we were only sort of five, ten k away from the nearest person, right? So usually QRF was from another, you know, cop ripping out or yeah, or I don't even know where Talacan was. So Talacan would have been. So if you had, do you know PBSG? No. Spurwangar? Yep. Yeah. So, so you had Spurwangar and just south or north of that was Haji, right? And then it kind of went down the line of the Argandab. So it went Haji, I think Zangabad, Talakan, and then Mushan all the way out the west. And so we were sort of the last, second last outpost because Mushan was the Taliban held, or not the Taliban, sorry, the uh, ANA held um, outpost, right? So at least during our tour anyway. So you guys, you landed in February, you said? Yes. So, so was there, did you find like a transition? I guess I could just let you talk about how your experience was in Afghanistan, but I am curious. Yeah, <laughs> well, fire away. Wait, fire away. Look, I'm just sitting here like I'm listening to you, you guys sharing this back and forth. If I'm the audience and the audience is listening, this is perfect. Like it's good because you both got the same experiences. So I'm, I know for, so my experience, my tour was pretty much winter pretty much the oh, whole winter yeah, right so we we did like you know fall into winter and then the beginning of spring so we were just riddled with ieds right a few pot shots a lot more likely to come out i guess yeah yeah they, they don't want to come out and play during that time right and so if you were landing in february i would imagine that you started out probably the same thing they aren't coming out and playing too much and then as it gets warmer i would imagine yeah they got yeah i mean the fighting season definitely kicked off there's like a day too that they usually say. Yeah, like, yeah. Right? I mean, don't ask me what that is. I couldn't tell you, but which is weird to think of. Like, literally, it comes down like, okay, tomorrow is the starting of fighting season. No, I've heard this before. Yeah, it's yeah. wild. And, and it's, you could probably time it to the crops or something. Who knows? Like, I would imagine so. You know, I think get, that all, is what all it the far, all the farmland's done. All right, let's go, boys. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, yeah, I don't recall exactly. But I mean, yeah, it got. Uh, all of a sudden, it went from really bored, really not quite sure what to expect. You know, okay, cool, war zone, right on. Um, I'm bloody freezing in the OP to every other day being shot at. Really? Right? That much, eh? Oh, man, we were getting, I think it was, you know, 24, 25 firefights, something like that, over the, over the summer for me personally, at least. Um, I'm sure people that I served with were more. And, oh, yeah, and I definitely I, heard I got it. spared. I got, I got lucky. How, how long do you think, just for the average listener, what do you think it would be a short end for a firefight and a long end, duration-wise? Oh, God. Um, it really depended, right? So 
you know, most of the engagements I was in were from a cop, from a combat outpost. So really it's just kind of skirting fire and like they're not really too actually interested in engaging with us. Like they're not actually, you know, coming with any real numbers. Did you um, have any on patrol that you got ambushed or anything? Yeah. Um, I guess that's a lot more uh, shit your pants stuff, right? Yeah. So when we did, so um, in July, we all went out in a big, big, big patrol. Like we basically walked from, as I recall, I think it was, I think it was PBSG right to Mushan, like all through all four cop territories um, over a couple of days. And uh, I mean, there were hundreds of us. And we went to go and clear the whole West End of Mushan out of, you know, whatever we thought was out there. And sort of walking back. So that was that was a day of firefights. I mean, I, I remember being under contact for quite a while, you know, at least what seemed like a while anyway. I mean, who knows really what time or exactly how much time these things take. Cause, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like depending on what the circumstances are, depending on how far away it is, depending on you know, a few things like five minutes can feel like five hours if, uh, for sure. you know what I mean? So that whole um, day you were in and out of contact? Uh, the whole morning for sure. Um, you know, we started early, like four thirty, five o'clock or whatever it was in the morning, went out and did this big clearance patrol. And as the day warmed up, we started getting a lot of contacts, pushing the A&A up. We had Americans with us. Like, you know, there was, there was a bunch of us. And, uh, anyway, like, and it was just insanely hot, like insanely hot. Like, guys were going down with like serious dehydration and- not even dehydration like they're baking from the inside it was oh, like yeah. you know the uh, i think it was even uh, i think it was even warren halcrow was you know sh- you know throwing water down line type thing like to try and get it like right up to us like in the field i've never seen that before not in afghanistan anyway where guys are literally just sort of standing at posts in the village with yeah. water and i'm like don't you have anybody else around you <laughs> like, yeah. you know what i mean so anyway so it was a really really hot day and um so, you know, those those engagements, obviously, you know, they could have taken hours or half a day or whatever it would have been. And I'm sure there have been other engagements which were all day. And maybe you can speak on some of your experiences on that. Front. I never got hunkered down like that. I never even got into any firefights or anything. Oh, okay. We just got hit with tons of... Our sister platoon got it uh, ambushed pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was about it. Like I said, like, we were there for the wintertime, so it would be like... We get called out, usually QRF, and then yeah. we'd be out for, get two or three 10-liners all in one day, too. Yeah. Which sucked, but nothing like being on a two-way firing range all, all fucking day. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it was weird because, like, well, like, you know the terrain, right? There's so many, like, walls, and there's so many yeah. rows of grapevines and whatever else, and whether it's just mud or whether it's got foliage on it, like... It's just a lot of undulating ground. And so it's almost like you never see the person you're shooting at, mm-hmm. right? Um, Same with, like, the gray putts. they got those little small slits. Yeah, so you're trying like to figure out. So many, yeah, so yeah, many like, different hiding Where spots. are the rounds even coming from? I always wondered why you carried the Carl Goose stuff over there, and it's because of those little gray putts. Even those are pretty I, useless. <laughs> I know someone that, <laughs> I won't say names either, but someone that allegedly, not allegedly, this is what I was told by him and other people, he lobbed a... 84 through a window and just pink misted it. It's pretty, buff, pretty funny. Oh, yeah, I've heard. Ask. Like, guys yeah. have shared that with me. That's why yeah. he carried the Carl Gustav was to do that. It's fucking sick. Yeah, that's <laughs> 84. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it was from some distance, and they were like, hey, so-and-so, you think you can put one through that window? And he was like, 
Sure. Sure. <laughs> oh, because it's a little bit out of the trajectory. You have to... Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Oh, I, I've actually got a funny, um, funny college story. So we were in a pretty good contact. Uh, we were in Haji. And uh, we were being lit up pretty good. And we had like a bunch of reinforcements. We were expecting this to come. We were expecting an offensive against Haji. Yep. And so we had like all of Recky Platoon with us. Normally it's like... 10 guys plus a and a if you're lucky and in haji it was just 10 dudes and an interpreter yeah. so we got a bunch of reinforcements sent to us and um i'm on the the north tower and uh guys are on the south tower and we're being attacked from the south and i look over and guys like do you remember look what the cop the cops looked like we had kind of like these little stairs running up the 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 sea can to the i think to the uh to the all i can think of is pss for some reason okay i don't know why I don't know if I've, I oh no there was there's a copy between uh, MSG and Wilson I think right there's a probably yeah. yeah but it's just like a square yeah, yeah. it's like a yeah. big square and on the and on like the polar opposite ends there would be a tower right yeah and to get to the tower you go up some stairs and there'd be sandbags yeah. everywhere and whatever else right so I look across the to- I look across the whole cop to the opposite tower to see Buddy loading a Carl G right <laughs> and oh no sorry it wasn't a Carl was it a Carl G Man, my my brain's like, like this deciding. Is it is it like just like one of the little just an M seventy two or M seventy two is an actual? Car? I think it was a Carl G. Well, yeah, it's a two manner. You don't load the M seventy two. You load. Yeah, I pre- yeah, pop. I know, yeah. but I'm I'm trying I'm trying to decide if my my memory is accurate or not here. But yeah. either which way, or it was a shoulder mounted weapon. Yeah, and all I remember is Buddy running up the stairs behind it. Like oh, running no. up the oh. running running up the ladder to right get like to get, to get right into the back blast <laughs> and then the thing goes off and he oh. disappears. Oh, and shit. I was sitting there like jaw dropped. I was like, "Holy shit! Did was that, that like, just happen? Like, did he? Did is he gone? Is it, is it just his boots left? Like, what the fuck? Just and then he just stands up. You. And this is this is one of our guys or an A and A. One of our guys. Oh shit! Eh? Like he's one of our guys because yeah. he didn't see it because he's looking. He's going up the ladder, right? So yeah, he doesn't he see. see he doesn't see what's <laughs> at, at at full. All he sees are feet. He doesn't see a a Carl G being loaded, right? Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit! The dude tripped on the stairs. Oh, I'm not even shitting. You tripped on the stairs. Gets up. Was like, oh fuck, boys. Thank God he like, tripped. No kidding. I was. I was just like, would have got his hair singed. I guess. Oh <laughs> God, no. But just the, just yeah. just watching it from like you know like I don't know like it'd be further from here to the back wall back there. But like you're just twenty feet there, away, like, thirty feet away. You're like you're like. Yeah. I think I just watched my friend die. <laughs> like, <laughs> holy shit! And not only that, he just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, and was, the adrenaline's going obviously as well, oh, right? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. You know, anyone that's fired one of those just thinks of that. You don't until you've actually seen one fired or been firing an eighty four or rocked it, by it. Even the M seventy two, that back blast. I mean, the eighty four is a different well, beast. Well, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a different beast. Yeah. That thing, will, if you got a cold, it'll suck the snot right out of you. But it'll give you a tinnitus claim. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? What? <laughs> I got ringing in my ears. Um, so. You did mention July, and that's when Corporal Arnold passed away, and that was Foot yeah. Patrol in Panjway, if yeah. my research is correct. Yeah, so said Zangabad. Which is crazy for me to think of, because that's like right before I'm going over, right? Like that's yeah, over like a month. Six, eight weeks, yeah. around there. And like, I, it seems like there's so much, uh, there's so many casualties around that, like during that time like 08 seemed to be 06 and 08 seemed to just be yeah i think it was 22 
who I, I seem to remember 22 on our tour maybe it was or 18 maybe it was 18 too many either uh, way too many either way by far too many and and what forgets gets forgotten about is that's not including all the casualties and amputees that happen out of it. yeah Injuries, of course yeah, yeah. I, well and people that are uh living with all of those thoughts still too right yeah um and suicide we're just mentally shaken yeah, yeah exactly absolutely so were you on patrol that day i was actually um, i don't know how much you like to chat about it or uh no i, I honestly i've never minded chatting about it it um I think it kind of helped me cope with it too. That's like, a big part of us. Like th- part of this <laughs> is for me, it's like therapy and letting other people know you can talk about it. Like, yeah, to be perfectly honest. So when I looked into the, just for some little bit of research, cause we haven't met before just to see what your background is. And I saw that incident and you go on and you try and find out details of it. And there's obviously the generic CBC articles. Yeah. And it's no different than when, I saw my friends get killed and it was like, this isn't like, there's no real details here. So, um, we wanted to be able to give a platform for sharing some of the actual details around what happened. So uh, if you're up for it, uh, yeah. Um, so we were on our way back from that big clearance patrol in, in, uh, and we kind of had a stop off in Talacan and, um, I think, if our memory serves, we waited 12 hours kind of thing and then left at night and carried on to Zangabad. And, that was a long fucking day. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was... Well, it was a long four days, really, because it, yeah, like, no it was like March from PBSG to to Zangabad, yeah. and then Zangabad to Talacan, wait 12 hours, then go to Mushan, then wait another 12 hours, do the offensive, come back, wait another 12 hours, etc. It was a very long patrol. It was like a four-day patrol kind no of thing. No shit. And, um, and in such heat, it was disgusting heat. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so we were on our way back from the leg between Talacan and Zangabad and we'd literally just radioed in as memory serves. Like, you know, we'd radioed in, um, that we saw Zangabad. We were like a hundred feet away or a hundred meters away or whatever it was like, you know, we're, we could basically spit on Zangabad and that's when it happened. Like we, um, so we were at the very front of the patrol uh i was sort of i think behind like my lt his um radio operator and then it was me if memory serves correctly and then in front of him i think it was my sergeant and then james and then my buddy neil um so neil had literally walked right over the bomb and then james stepped on it and that's when it went off and i was kind of around a corner like was it pressure plate? Pressure plate then, I guess? Or Honestly, don't I know? don't know. I really don't know. I'd be completely speculating. But the fact that my buddy walked over it and then he yeah. walked over it, I would, I would lead to believe that it was remote detonated. But it could have very easily been pressure plate. It could have been on a timer. Like tripwire. Tripwire. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I don't know is the answer I, to that yeah, question. Yeah, I didn't know. We, I, I was lucky enough to find out more details about our incident afterwards. I didn't know if you had any of those yeah, details. Yeah. Um, you might find out more details after this when people yeah. reach out. But, yeah. Sorry. You know, it's funny how details kind of, you know, evade you sometimes too, right? Like, I mean, it feels like that could be a detail that I did know at one point And then, I don't know, like... It's not as important, really. It's, it's not, not as important as kind of the event and what happened. And, you know, like, I mean, my, my reaction was, what the heck just happened? Because I thought we were being mortared. 
because mm-hmm. I was kind of just around a bend, so I couldn't quite see him. Uh, and you kind of get over the, the, you know, the, the PR there and, you know, is everybody okay? And, you know, Neil, Neil, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Like, you know, James, you okay? And you just hear no. Oh, and you're shit. like, holy shit. Now it's real, right? Like not only are we under attack, not only do you get ambushed or, you know, hit by an IED, but now somebody's hurt. And so I was also one of the T triple C guys, right? Tactical combat casualty care. We had medics, we had everything, but I was one of the closest T triple C guys, like to James. And so my first instinct was, you know, you know, you're hearing medic, medic or whatever else. My first instinct was to run up. And I, I think I even got stopped by an engineer and he's like, yeah. you got to wait, bro. Like there could be more. We have to clear the, the path. And like, I was just like, I just got to get, get there type thing. And, um, anyway, eventually they cleared the path, allowed me to get to James. And, you know, by that point there was like three other T triple C guys. I think we had like two, two medics. Uh, my Sergeant was there like, and I basically just had James's head on my lap. And my job was to read his pulse and talk to him. And, um, you know, I'm not going to describe the the yeah. scene in great detail, but, you know, what I won't forget is his eyes because it was just so, you know, you have to understand, you don't, I mean, no one here knows James, um, but he was like, well, like I told the colonel the day, like he was the glue guy. He was the guy that was always telling the jokes and kind of the guy that, binded everybody together you know you know who i'm talking about right yeah. like everybody every section kind of usually has one and he was that guy and so so all that life that he always had on a day-to-day basis seemed to be gone in those eyes even though he was still alive like you know one eyelid was half closed the other one was you know three quarters open so they were at different levels and you could just see life fading away right and so anyway, so, um, and there was, uh, when I read the article, I'm guessing that Neil was the person who was also injured. Yeah. From so that. he had taken in some shrapnel to the rear and, uh, they both ha- obviously were being medevaced back to Kandahar or calf. And, uh, so they asked for volunteers to like carry James to the, to the helo. And uh, I remember my sergeant major like pulling me back aside, says Dan, not not this time type thing. Like just stay here. Like basically, it was doing me the favor, right? Like I wanted to desperately, but he wouldn't let me. And we got back to Zangabad because it was only a hundred feet away. And um, I just remember like you know my sergeant, he told us to debomb, get all our kit undone or whatever else, and everyone was complying and everyone was kind of just doing their thing and you know kind of soaking it all in and understanding what had just happened. And I just remembered like just sitting there like no kid off no nothing i was just in total like what the fuck just happened right and this is like towards the end of your tour too yeah yeah this is yeah this is sort of six months in like james and i went to australia together like i mean he we did our own thing in australia but like we actually met back in um in uh uh sydney and flew back together. We kicked some old man out of his seat so we could sit together in the city plane back to Dubai, right? For your HLTA? For our HLTA. And, uh, you know, we sat there drinking, like, everything we could order on the plane because yeah. why not, right? Yeah, of course. So, like, you know, like, we were, you know, 
like he was one of my better friends like while on tour you know what i mean like he was one of the guys i really looked to to smoke and joke with and and would have a good time so um so when that had happened it was just like holy shit like i cannot believe like and you, i don't know if you ever watched the simpsons or anything like that there's this this episode where mr burns is afflicted with every disease in the book and the doctor's trying to describe it by like sticking all the balls into a doorway and none of the balls can get through so none of the diseases are hurting him uh-uh. that was kind of my feeling i did, i felt like i had like a thousand emotions going on and i didn't actually know which one to think about you know what I mean? Like I was, it was no, like, I definitely know that feeling. I was like uh, <laughs> processing, processing. You're like almost numb because yeah, you don't know like what to feel. Right? Just pure like adrenaline shock, pure emotional shock, pure like what the fuck. When you guys left, did you know was he still was it VSA or? Well, they don't. They it doesn't get announced until a doctor has been able to verify. Right? Like they can't announce on the ground. Oh, ours was pretty obvious that i guess is why yeah like i think i think you know my emotion of it was that he's gonna be alive he's gonna be okay i remember sitting there praying and saying about being like oh my god like like there's hope yeah like you know please don't let that bad news come down but i mean you know intellectually you know and and again like even even i remember talking to my sergeant when i got home like back to canada and talking about it and be like no, dude, he was dead at, at the scene. Like, he was done. You know, other than the fact that he responded on the PR, it was not long after that happened. He probably died. So, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I didn't yeah, diagnose I it. Mean, yeah. Yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, you know. So, you kind of still had some sort of hope, though. Well, my hands were on his pulse, mm-hmm. right? Like, until he, until he, you know, was taken out of my hands, right? Like, so, you when, know. When did you finally get, like, the actual confirmation? It was it was probably forty five minutes after the okay. helo took off, like because I mean they have to go they back to and yep. you know it's just Roll probably three, a 10, probably. 15 minute yeah. flight like so yeah I think it was a good forty five minutes or so and then um, yeah you know we were all you know so we were in in Zangaba and there was way too many of us we weren't supposed to be there like well sorry there was nowhere to sleep because there was hundreds of us or, or however many there was like I don't remember the exact numbers anymore but um, basically because we were the section mates of James's we were told not to go on the wall told not to do any sentry duty like just go to sleep essentially is what we were decompress told. kind of thing yeah like and you know I mean man it I'm was sure like, you weren't sleeping anyways yeah I mean I think it was four o'clock in the morning we are supposed to get airlifted out just our section because we are again we needed to go back for ramp ceremony and all that sort of stuff and um obvious immediate shock blah blah, blah whatever the reasons were yeah. um and uh i think that was at like six or seven in the morning i don't know but you know so we had a good four hours five hours to possibly sleep and um yeah no i wasn't sleeping man i was with my buddy darren and uh he had cigarellos on him and he just kept handing them to me he's like here man like you know just you know and, and darren's like one of my closest friends even today but like yeah just there was no sleeping that night and then what about the news and thought thoughts of neil like how how bad were his injuries were you guys concerned for him well that's just it like uh i 
the focus was obviously on James, but Neil seemed to be ambulatory at the time as memory serves. So I was never personally dealing with Neil at the time. Yeah. But I think he was okay enough to let everybody know that he was okay. Like he basically okay. took shrapnel to his ass. Okay. Um, so like he wasn't, you know, uh, he didn't, I, again, I wasn't focused on him. I was more yeah. focused on James, but yeah. you know, I'm sure he was attended to by somebody that required it. But I mean, Neil is a, a strong character guy, like and able to kind of take a bit of, you know, take a bit of pain for the bigger picture, right? Yeah. So I just didn't know how bad to, to get a picture it. of this patrol. Is there anyone in front of Neil and James? Pretty much no. So this is the tip of the spear. We are, yeah, we are the tip of the tip of the spear. So as memory serves, anyway. Yeah. Maybe it just felt like that because uh, you know we took the ID, but yeah. uh, from what I recall, I think we were at the front. So that then you guys have the unfortunate duty of going back getting his stuff together to send back home yep and then getting ready for a ramp ceremony yep and then did you guys get did you have to patrol in the calf or did you guys take so so no so we were waiting for the chalk to fly out of zangabad the next morning and uh of course we the whole cop came under fire for like a couple of hours they wouldn't let the rip in and uh eventually like it wasn't letting up and they wouldn't let us get up on the wall and fight back either. They were like, no, you guys have to stay inside the sea can kind of thing. So not only could we not get that frustration out, which was probably a good thing in hindsight, like, um, you know, the rip wasn't happening because we kept getting shot at. Mm -hmm. So, but eventually the, uh, the Chinook pilots were like, fuck this. They came in, they landed and we literally ran under, ran out under gunfire and we did a combat evac out of out of Zangabad all the way back to I think it was PBSG, um, which was by far the most exhilarating flight I've ever taken in my life. No shit. Like yeah. you know, you look out the window and rotor blades are literally almost touching the ground. Yeah. Like it was just kind of weaving back and forth down the Argandab River. It was freaking wild. With um, the theory being, being the lower you keep to the ground, the harder it is harder to it is hit. for hit exactly. I guess. I mean, I'm not a pilot, but yeah. Um, and it's just kind of weaving like this, right? So it's not just kind of flying high in a straight line. So it was, uh, so that was kind of this weird, like euphoric moment in the midst of this sea of shit. A ton of emotion. Yeah. Adrenaline. And, uh, and then, yeah. So then we get back to PBSG and then it's just this holy, oh, now we're safe. Now it's the real adrenaline dump. And then it's like, now we got to go back to CAF and we're kind of hanging our heads down. And, you know, the, the CEO and the RSM are asking us questions about who James was so that they had something to give reporters. And yeah. um, then there's the whole ceremony and then there's the drill to figure out how to carry a casket. And I don't even remember <laughs> half of that either. Just like pure adrenaline. It's interesting that you brought up how they wouldn't let you let the helicopter land. Like they're, they were so smart. They knew that. They knew when they killed someone is pretty much what it came down to. And then they were relentless afterwards. Like for our ramp ceremony at CAF, we were getting rocketed all day. Like they knew the routine. Yeah. So then they just made it hell for us just to even get those guys out of there. Yeah. Get the bodies out. And I would imagine it's the same thing. They knew that they hit you guys. So that was relief of whatever was coming in. So they were just making it. Yeah. Extra hell. difficult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I mean, how much, you know honor or whatever do you get when you shoot down a chinook yeah oh yeah you know yeah it's crazy and then 
so did you guys end up doing like a daytime ramp ceremony or yeah, yeah. there's a daytime ramp ceremony and yeah bagpipes probably hit you differently now yeah i don't like that song a whole lot no neither do i i hate remembrance day for bagpipes yeah bagpipes suck. it's gotten better over the years but i mean it's still brings you right back for some reason right yeah i didn't even have bagpipe. we didn't have bagpipes for our ramp ceremony because we went to do it i think three different times and we got rocket attacked at Kandahar airfield so we Shit. had to wrap it up then we ended up we were there all day waiting to do it at nighttime ended up doing it under lights with a minimal uh crowd you right. know how usually they pack the place with yeah. every everyone that's every on nation cap. like yeah. we were maybe like two rows deep wow. like there's really not many people that's and then you feel like it's almost a slight to the yeah and we the guy so they didn't do know. bagpipes nothing um it was so you mentioned earlier hearing the uh commands coming over and being so loud ours was dead silent yeah it was super easy to hear so we're talking yeah, difference between three thousand people there to, to 200 yeah something like yeah, that. yeah something it's a lot else. i've done i went to some ramp ceremonies as just packed as yeah as uh i don't even know like a viewer i guess is like the way like like, it. like it looks like the ottawa cenotaph on remembrance day yeah it's just, and it's you know french brits dutch. dutch all everyone's on this strip and then yeah they bring in the labs that's carrying the the casket or caskets and yeah and then you do that i don't remember any of the drill though I don't remember. It's so weird. To yeah. Like well, back. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I had to do it at all. But you know, thank God we had to do it. Well, I had to do it once. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just remember the really slow footsteps. Yeah. And slow march. Yeah. Oh yeah, you slow march. Well, because I was I'm the short guy, so I'm at the front, so I got all the tall guys. It's downhill slope, right? And so you're sitting there feeling like you got the whole weight of the thing, which weighs more than you ever wanted to weigh such a euphoric feeling too like not in a great way obviously uh like just uh i don't know it's it's such a weird because a it's on national television too you're carrying your friend obviously you're in a combat zone and there's all these other emotions and thoughts going through your head like i'm stuck here still yeah and it's <laughs> like well and i mean i know this sounds like a really weird emotion but i remember feeling like oh shit i'm on tv yeah, how am I supposed to act right now? Well, same with like, you know? and you're slow marching, and you want to be in step, and like you get all those military thoughts too of like, I'm gonna get jacked up if I look yeah. like a fucking idiot. Yeah, right. Like, like you're just like shit. Yeah, it's such a weird experience. There's so many different things going on in those moments, in that moment, and, and and you know, it's these little tiny, tiny, tiny moments in time, which I think what really helps make a soldier, a soldier. You know what I mean? Like. Um, times when you're with the ANA for example right and you see a smirk or you see a little bit of life out of basically what amounts to a kid right and you know you're in a totally different country or times where a bagpipe goes off in a particular pitch it's those little undefined moments that collectively I think you know equal your experience and that's what I think is so hard to convey across to your family your friends that didn't go over uh Anybody that's not experienced that kind of environment, right? Like the be, triggers, the triggers. Yeah. Like, and, and it's not even necessarily a bad trigger. It's just a trigger, right? Like, yeah, I get that for sure. There's you know, definitely like, like there's things that'll make me feel proud. And then there's things that'll make me feel like shit when I think like, yeah, different things that bring me back to that period of time, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Cause yeah. there's a lot of, I mean, like, I don't know about you, but for me, like, I remember some of the most beautiful moments in my life happened in Afghanistan. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I remember, so 
well, three events really clearly. One, I was on an OP. I think it was in, I think it was in um, uh, Masamgar. I think it was at the top of the hill of Masamgar. And I'm looking out on the Reg Desert, like sort of as, as daylight's kind of coming to a close. And there's a storm brewing over the far mountains. And all of a sudden, and it's, you know, when like the sky goes red, right? But it's like a deep, deep red, like a deep hue. And it's kind of like, it's almost dark blue kind of happening just above it. And all of a sudden, a lightning bolt goes off behind the mountain range. And the whole mountain range just electrifies with this blue bolt of lightning almost. That's kind of what it looked like. That's how it happened in my head, right? Yeah. Like, like, like God traced the mountain line with a lightning bolt. Yeah. And you're just like, what the hell was that? That was spectacular. Like, yeah. just beautiful. Like, these zen moments, right? So that's what I mean. Like, I think there were these moments where, I mean, I, I, actually, Forrest Gump, film Forrest Gump did a great job of capturing this when, like, the rain lets up or whatever else. But these moments of beauty that happen in this otherwise shithole of, yeah. of an environment, right? Like, this nasty place. And so I think that's kind of going back. I mean, I don't really know what my point is anymore. But, like, going back to the whole idea that, like, you know, what makes a soldier isn't just the gunfights and the firefights and the, no, and the trauma and the, and the bad triggers and the anger issues when you come home or whatever else. I think there's those moments that you share with, a, with your brotherhood that says no one else got to experience this. Yeah. That's you know? like, I remember you brought up MSG and life-changing moments. I remember sitting on some building at MSG, you know where the school was there, right? And yep. there's a little village. So that school, they finally had boys and girls going to school there. And then there's going to be a graduation. And I remember oh. them saying they're going to, they had, there's threats coming down that it, suicide vehicle born ID was going to ram through and blow everyone up and so on and so forth. And there's going to be riots and chaos and all this shit. So I remember sitting with a C6 on top of a building during this graduation. And it's like, nothing happens. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, but then you kind of reflect, like, that's, that's like, that's amazing. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like, here I am waiting to open up on a bunch of people because I think they're going to kill all these kids. And instead, all these kids live and they're getting education in this shithole. Well, not really a shithole. We were trying to change it, so on and so forth. But it's yeah. like those small moments of hope and humanity. And I remember we also, someone had a whole bunch of clothes. Uh, sent over and we went over and we gave all the kids clothes and shit like that like those yeah. small things yeah were impactful super um, impactful yeah and then you come back and then you see all the spoiled little shit we're so entitled here yeah well we really do live cushy and like I'll, i get mad at myself even because i'll judge where it's like i see even my son my son my daughter they're spoiled absolutely spoiled rotten and then it's like, I'm creating that environment and we're lucky, but then I'll get mad at myself for being that, that way too. Right. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's such a weird experience. It changes you probably no different than even just going to Hong Kong and living there and coming. Yeah. Here. I mean, well, I mean, it's not that different. It's not, it's not like Hong Kong's like, you know, cyberspace or something, but like, I'm sure there's different luxuries here that they might not have there. Uh, that like, you take for like, granted. like, like a single dwelling house. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you're pretty rich. You have one of those in Hong Kong, but didn't you live on an Island? I, I did. Yeah. I lived on an Island. Um, the Island I was telling you about was yeah. a little different. That's that's, we didn't live there that they, they drove around golf carts. They weren't allowed car cars. It's like it mansions, like mansions. And yeah. So I go back to what your parents did. No. <laughs> so international let's dive, let's drug dealers. <laughs> um, but for real. <laughs> so you ended up getting going 
with the rest of your tour what ended up happening with that so i'm guessing you didn't end up being um the escort for james to come back no no so then you end up, you do the ramp ceremony, and then it's kind of back to business. And so, no, so I, I was afforded the luxury of being able to um, kind of, and this is kind of where Nick, I think, kind of came in play as well. But I, I did a lot of, like, you know, I don't like to say the word support for James's mom and his family because I didn't do a lot, like, not comparatively speaking. But, I like, I made time and effort to go and visit and say hello, introduce myself, and, you know, help her grieve through the process, met her, met his brother, all that sort of stuff. And, um, what ended up happening was because of that time spent, they sent me up to Jasper for like three, four days to like decompress because we were helping with the families and helping through that process and whatever else. And I mean, I really don't know how long we did that for. I don't think it was super long, but I ended up going to Jasper and I ended up going with a bunch of other guys too. Because what that trip was for were for all the officers and, and NCOs that stayed, you know, Canada side and, and actually helped families get through that stress, which is a really stressful job, right? Like, you know, helping a family grieve through the death of one of their kin, right? So anyway, so we went as combat, you know, hardened veterans and people that were in Canada, you know, dealing with stress, right? And we did not jive well because all of a sudden it was like these... Dick like, measuring contest almost? Well, or? it was just like, it's just like, what the fuck do you guys know about stress? Like, exactly, you know, yeah. a week ago I was in a firefight kind of thing. And, and we didn't have a right to say that because, I mean. Some of those guys probably were right before you guys too, right? Well, that yeah. too, right? And yeah. and so we had this, this like, kind of like, why are we doing this? Let's just go drink at the bar kind of thing, right? This Sounds mentality. like an infantier mentality. Right. And so, so it was just kind of this weird, like, trip to Jasper. And, you know, it was only a couple of days and. You know, that's when things started to really kind of click in about, you know, A, how lucky I had it. Because, frankly, I didn't get anything really, you know, prolonged exposure to a lot of traumatic events. I had, obviously, James was a very traumatic event. And, you know, a, a few other things happened that were, you know, that stick out in your memory. But it wasn't like... I was, you know, right in the thick of hand-to-hand -hand combat or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I got lucky in that regard. Um, but when I went to Jasper, I definitely met people or met up with friends from other platoons or whatever else that did have those experiences or did have much worse experiences. And you kind of, you know, start making that realization of, A, how lucky I am, but B, like, you start processing and having that process of what the heck was my life the last nine months or seven months or whatever it was like you sit there and you kind of go holy crap like and that's the start of the journey right that's you know the tip of the iceberg and things are different things are different absolutely and you're meeting civilians in a bar who are complaining about shit you don't want to hear about and i don't know about you man but when i got back anytime anybody complained about literally anything pissed me off because i was like you have no idea how lucky you are and Derek's yeah, pointing up. at me right now because that still bothers me or right? and then and then i get angry at myself for being so angry about the fact that people were angry again that's me and it's you know and like i'll get angry yeah i mean it's ironic because i have it really good like i have it great right now i'm someone who thinks that veterans affairs took care of me uh right. it was hell to get the, the resources and actually access it all but i feel like i'm really well taken care of good so when I hear other people complain or, you know, then I get fired up still. Yeah. But then it's like, well, I'm 
pretty cushy right now. Who am I to say that they can't complain, right? And, yeah. Uh, but if for some reason, I still get fired up. It's yeah. like, and a lot of the time, it is different situations where I assess the situation. And it's like, man, you've got it pretty fucking good. Stop fucking complaining. Yeah. <laughs> like you want some hardship to get there or like people will compare my situation to theirs and it's like yeah. well they want what I have thinking that it's all gushy and it's like yeah you don't know like the shit that I still have to think yeah. about and dream about and absolutely and I think that's important to note that like everybody's situation is different everybody's personal situation is different everyone's experiences overseas are different and and kind of like what we were talking about earlier with stress like I like to equate stress to the weather right like you know in Canada we're all used to 40 minus 40 right but you know you bring someone in from i don't know like down south america right you bring them up right now and they're probably wearing a parka because they don't like 10 degrees yeah you know what i mean and so that's stressful for them the weather's cold for them mm-hmm. so you know i think it's really important to understand um for me what always helped me when talking to other veterans or whatever else is to just to understand that like you know even if i think they're being you know over dramatic about an event which didn't seem that bad compared to what i experienced i don't know their story i don't know their backstory i don't know their childhood i don't know a lot of things and to them that might be the worst thing that ever happened to them and and therefore stressful you know what i mean yeah and and i and i know what you're saying because it took me a really long time to get past that and that's kind of how i had to reconcile that well i that's i kind of do that now like i'll i'll get frustrated but then look back at a situation and go you know like you know, fortunately, those people haven't dealt with what we had to deal with or something Absolutely. like that. And it's like, so, yeah, you're, that is your stress threshold. Yeah. And it's like, that's a normal reaction given the situation your life experiences. Yeah. So who yeah. am I to yeah. judge? And why should I expect your threshold to be the same as mine? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, and you know, and it's not your fault that you didn't have to go through the shitty stuff that I did. So. Yeah. No, well, there's that too, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, so uh, are you still in the military right now? No, I retired four years ago, actually, almost to the day. So, uh, again, a little research, a little lurky turkey on the old face lurk. Uh, you're big into golf? Yes, I am. I uh, took some time off to kind of rediscover myself after I retired out of the military and, uh, uh, you know, was going to the gym like two, three, four days a week, whatever it was, and spend like a, an hour and a half, two hours every day. And, and, um, this is a really long-winded way of saying, yes, I really like golf, but um, I got into uh, personal training, essentially, is kind of where I'm going down with this. And um, I did the exact same thing when I got out. Did you? Yeah, I'm not even joking. <laughs> the gym awesome. was my, like, my safe spot. That was a safe you spot, get, right? You get your endorphins flowing, yeah. feeling great. Although, although, curiously, I was terrified to go to the free weight section. Because, really? yeah, man, it was such a weird thing because, like, you know, in the gym, like, in the base gym, it's like you're just there working out with your buddies, whatever else. Yeah. Everybody's there for the same reason. Mm-hmm. But, like, in big box gyms, it's all, like, you know, you know, check out my biceps in the mirror and look well, how I went I with look. those and, guys. So well, yeah. So I was I was not that guy at all. I was, like, I didn't know anybody in Ottawa. I moved to Ottawa. I didn't okay. know anybody in Ottawa, like, yep. you know, brand new, like like, you know, deep end of the pool, like, you know. No, I'm a, I'm a social guy. I can talk to basically paint drawing on the wall. Um, so 
But for me, walking to that gym at first was actually really intimidating because I don't know that gym culture at all other than the military gyms. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's... yeah. So it was kind of this... Like, these dudes that were walking around like bodybuilders in these yeah. perfect bodies and you're sitting there going, Jesus. I'm going like, through that right now trying to get back into the gym. So right? <laughs> I get it. I know that feeling. I'm so, literally living it. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I, started, I started working out all the time and being a friendly person and wanting to know new people because I just moved to Ottawa. Like um, I started making friendly with all the trainers and just talking to people every day and people I'd see every day. And, and so kind of going back to my days in university where I was studying kinesiology, like I always loved human anatomy, T triple C guy in the military, like the human body fascinates me. So that and kind you of, you know, physical fitness now. And I knew physical fitness, right? Like thanks rock marches and freaking Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, you know, started talking to a lot of the trainers all the time. I was like, kind of, what does it take to become a trainer? And like, what kind of courses do you have to do? And a they, weekend of can fit. A it. weekend of can fit. <laughs> you have a career. And that's exactly what I did. Um, but it led you down. It led me down a path. Right. And it kind of like all of a sudden, like, you know, it was a job. It was some purpose again. It was something to do. I was hanging out with people that were 15 years younger than me. So it made me feel great. Um, and you looked at your penis when you said that. I'm just going to say that right now. You must have, you're working out, you're hanging out with younger people. You're getting tail, weren't you? You're getting all the tail in the world, weren't you? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> My wife might be listening. Oh, shit. <laughs> Should say wife to be. Cut that out, Derek. <laughs> anyway, no. Um, so, so anyway, so one of the, so that led to a job, box gym, kind of checking new things out. And one of the, I was really blessed when I, when I joined this gym because like all the trainers there were, you know, really, really great people, but also really knowledgeable people and were really good at mentoring and whatever else. Again, lurking on your Facebook, is this Movati? This is Movati, yeah. Movati I'm now a Movati pe- member oh, myself. Oh, there you in go. Brantford, oh, that's so. right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I again, a lurky uh, moment, but yeah, it seems like a nice, I, that is a very big gym though. You're yeah, right. no, they're, they're great. And uh, so, yeah, so I worked for Movati for a couple of years and uh, we had this guy come on the staff who transferred from a different Movati and, uh, you know, he was a big golfer and me and my other buddy were big golfers and we we're like, yeah, let's go play golf together. And we'd go play golf kind of on the weekends and hit like a, a local driving range. And, and, uh, one day the, the, the one trainer brings in this, what's called a TPI screen or a Titleist performance Institute screen. And he's like, yeah, we should, we should do this to get new customers, new clients, like the golfers of Movati. Cause there's money here kind of thing. Right. And so we're waffling our way through having no clue of what we're actually talking about. But we're interested because we're all golfers and I was kind of getting back into golf and playing golf for badly for 10, 15 years with a 10 year break type thing. And um, so anyway, so I was sitting there going, well, if I'm going to be trying to help, you know, people become better golfers, I should probably know what I'm talking about. So I randomly one day look up TPI and kind of like, how can I get certified through TPI? And it just happens that like a month and a half later, they're in Toronto the only time they come to Canada for the last two years and counting. And I was like, yeah, hop on that train. So I ripped down to Toronto, do this, you know, uh, another three day event, but I'm being trained. I'm being coached by the guy that just got the PGA coach of the year award down the States. I got another guy, Jay glass. Who's amazing. He has a great podcast too. You guys should listen to it. Um, Give it a plug. What is it? Uh, it's the coach glass podcast. It's freaking amazing. If you want to learn about um, kind of, uh, better development, self-development, 
strength and conditioning, um, neuromuscular training, like any of that sort of stuff. He's the guy I listen to, and he's also a comedian, so he's hilarious. Um, Send us a link to after yeah, we'll awesome. pump it. Yeah, the I'll coach class. Class. yeah, the Coach Glass podcast. I will definitely send that link to you guys. He's out in Vancouver. Um, so anyway, so um, I I would just I just kind of grabbed a hold of this horn, went down the rabbit hole, went full you know full bore and um started my own company i left Mavadi and started my own golf fitness business so that's in ottawa that is in ottawa yeah what's the name of that uh, plug that too get all the plugs in yeah let's get plugging so (laughs) my business name is the press performance lab um although i will be starting a membership with my new business partner uh we'll be working to build a brand called the swing fit golf academy in ottawa uh, hasn't launched yet, but we're really excited about it because our objective is, you know, golf is an expensive enough sport as is just for, you know, green fees and membership fees and whatever else. And if you want to learn how to play the sport, you got to dole out hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for golf coaches and, you know, and then there's a the whole fitness aspect. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a membership program where you can kind of do a one-stop shop, have your physiotherapist, have your uh, yoga instructor, have all of that, but geared towards the golfers that you can just enjoy golf and you know whether it's competitively or in your sort of senior retirement years like that's what we want to do and we want to do it so that people can actually afford it that's awesome that is uh, a huge mandate right now in the golf industry i believe is making sure that golf is accessible to everyone right yeah and part of that i think is making it financially more accessible 100 percent. dan how do i get a hold of you if i'm in like i'm in the ottawa area and i want to I'm on board because I like what you do. I want to get in touch with you. Is there a way I can find you? Pressperformancelab.com. Pressperformancelab.com. Okay. So are you guys going to have, are you going to be attached to a golf course or is that? No, no. So it's, we are going to be independent. Like we have, we're uh, trying to develop those contacts with local golf courses so that we can um, help run, you know, get their name out there first. We like to support local, um, you know, golf courses typically generate a lot of money but they're always looking for memberships and we want to be able to offer uh something that's new to their members as well uh, or at least be in association with so that they have access to our facilities as well because ultimately we want to become a performance of excellence for golfers especially in the Ottawa region and you know we believe that you know it's not just enough to develop a skill you have to develop a lifestyle to go with it right is your partner a veteran as well? He is not a veteran, but he did just get a CPGA membership, which is pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, nice. we actually met just kind of, like I said, I talked to everybody and I went to a golf expo in Ottawa and we kind of, I saw him running a booth, both swing or golf fitness. And I was like, seemed like a guy I want to talk to. Let's talk. So, and, and, and you're allowed to collaborate with the civilians. I do too. Yeah, no. Well, every once in a while, you know. Derek, Derek's nodding his head. Yes, yeah, civilians are okay. We're okay, yeah. I promise. We let them slide in every now and then. Keep your mouth shut, yeah. though, over there. Yeah. <laughs> Get them back in the box. Yeah. Shut your mouth when you talk on this podcast, civilian. Uh, well, that's awesome that you're doing that. And we wish you the best of luck. That's I for appreciate sure. that. I mean, it's kind of yeah. weird. It all started with this idea of working with um, veterans, anybody that had like uh, disabilities due to armed conflict even like first responders whatever else but uh um, well it's interesting that you brought up the the physio end of thing i was going to talk to you after this about some different stuff just off the top of my head but you might be able to tie a bunch of that into somehow some way there's got to be some funding out there for you somehow is my thought for veteran base at least yeah there i've 
I haven't done a huge amount of research into that. I mean, uh, my buddy Nick, who's always plugged into this stuff, like he uh, he's always pushing these these programs at me that I'm not necessarily sure apply, but. God bless him because I never even would have heard about them had I uh, had he not done it. Yeah, we, we wouldn't have met even, if it wasn't for Nick. That's absolutely true. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for Nick. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, but I think you're right. I think there are some things. I think it's just a matter of getting a little bit of uh, leeway with it started. Maybe getting so. a physician on board as well. Everyone's going, what Nick is that? Absolutely. Nick Kerr. <laughs> Another Patricia. Here we yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm joking. <laughs> All right. Well, you're RCR, aren't you? I, I, yeah, I'm around. I didn't say chicken fucker. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, I didn't sing your song either. So. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, we'll wrap up and that. We'll plug all your stuff for you. Thanks for being on. Thanks for your transparency with uh, what happened around James to you. And we'll definitely. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And just uh, my heart's always out with their family, and it's never really a day that goes by without uh, without thinking about them. So. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of this is remembrance, right? So. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, Dan, thanks for showing, like, just doing this podcast. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, Here we all we know. Go. Yeah, we know, <laughs> we know where I'm going with this, but, you know, this is a pretty special podcast because you've got the Royal Canadian Regiment, you've got PPCLI, and you've Working got the same together. year. together. <laughs> yeah, right? Look, it's, it's great. New Army. <laughs> Once a Patricia, always a Patricia, but, like, I know, stay in my lane, and I can ask you so many questions, but. And you know, if you're the audience listening to this, like Matt is able to ask certain questions that I'm just like, wow, it's such a good episode just to, to listen to that. And I think as you're listening to this, you get this warm feeling like, what can I do for this show? Like, holy fuck, David Ward just showed up. Now, as the rap. Holly yeah. Wookie is in the house. We got a special guest appearance as I'm, I'm doing my ass, but it's real special. Continue, wow. Continue, Jurgen. Shut up, would you? Last bit. <laughs> Last bit. So this, this this is really big, how you can get back to the show. And, you know, a lot of people will do sponsorships and that on a show. We ask for one thing, and you guys are killing it out there. And whoever Corporal Bloggins for God or is God, you are awesome for that review you left on Apple iTunes. So if you're listening to this show and you really want to give back to it, and just so we know we can move up in the rankings is... It really means a lot. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And I was checking, like, you guys are awesome. There's two reviews for September, and it doesn't sound like a lot. But when you look in against all the other big podcasts, they've got, like, Spit and Chicklets. It's got four reviews for September. So great audience, and I'd just love to get more than Spitting Chicklets or our competitors out there. And uh, leave that review, and thanks for listening. <laughs>